Welcome to the Be Well Buzz podcast, your number one weekly source for natural health and wellness. This is your resident nutritionist, Sean Stevenson. Today, I'm going to give you all the insider information and all the real information about something that's been called the silent killer. And what this something is, is your blood pressure. According to the CDC, about one in three U.S. adults, an estimated 68 million people right now has high blood pressure. And the cost associated with all these individuals having high blood pressure is estimated to be $93.5 billion in healthcare, medication, and missed days of work. In addition to these 68 million people, there's also an estimated 30% of American adults that have pre-hypertension, which is where the blood pressures are already higher than normal, leading them at risk to having high blood pressure and getting into that volatile area of being hit by the silent killer. Now, what's so scary about this issue is that oftentimes the individual doesn't have any symptoms at all, but uncontrolled high blood pressure can increase a person's risk for heart attack, heart failure, kidney failure, stroke, and even blindness. Now, I hope you're ready to take really good notes because what I'm going to teach you today and what you're going to learn all about are some common misconceptions about blood pressure and its causes, what organs are actually responsible for regulating your blood pressure, and it's not what you think, why your body elevates blood pressure on purpose to actually protect you, what your blood pressure numbers really mean, and I'm going to share with you six critical steps to lowering your blood pressure naturally. So let's go ahead and dive in and get started. Now, the first thing to understand is that your blood pressure actually shifts all throughout the day as a natural occurrence in the body in response to certain stimuli. So an individual who has high blood pressure, your body's not just doing that to just to be doing it or just to hurt you. It's actually doing that in response to certain things. And most people, when you actually ask them what's controlling their blood pressure, they tend to think of their heart. So that's where I'm going to start, but that's definitely not where the story ends. So there's three main factors to take a look at here when we're talking about how our heart actually interacts with our blood pressure. The first thing to cover here is the heart rate. The heart rate, to make this very, very simple, is basically the speed at which your heart beats. And basically how this goes is that when your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases. And when your heart rate decreases, so does your blood pressure. And there's many, many things that actually modulate our heart rate and the speed at which our heart is actually beating and moving blood throughout our system. So a couple of those things are hormones, medications, drugs, both legal and illegal, exercise, but in particular, the main effector here is the nervous system. And basically, we're talking about our body's response to stress. So that response to stress, you know, just if you even feel like you're you're upset or you're worried about something or you're racing to do something, your heart rate is going to have a natural tendency to increase. And that's all fine because our bodies have other checks and balances to modulate things and keep them balanced. But it's when those things become chronic, when we're chronically in a state of stress, that we can start to see some big, big issues. So that's number one is the heart rate. Next, we move to number two, which is the stroke volume. And again, to keep this really, really simple, the stroke volume is basically how hard or the power at which your heart is actually pumping the blood throughout your system. So we've got the heart rate, which is the speed, and we've got the stroke volume, which is the power. 
And again, we really want to have that sweet spot to where everything is modulated. We don't want things to be too, too hard and too fast, nor too low and too weak. We want to have that good balance and our bodies can modulate this stuff naturally because that's what they've done throughout entire evolution here as human beings. But again, something that really affects that stroke volume is stress. And that is the main factor here. It's all related to the nervous system because our nervous system is intrinsically going to impact that stroke volume and our overall cardiac output. So that's the first two things. The third and final thing when we're talking about in relation to what people commonly think about when they think about blood pressure, the heart and the cardiovascular system, number three is the peripheral resistance. The peripheral resistance is basically the stuff that's going on throughout your arteries, your veins, all the, the tubing and the pathways throughout your entire system that are linked up directly to your heart. So that resistance can come from things like calcified materials, um, what we commonly know as plaque, cholesterol. It can come from drugs, both legal and illegal. It can come from the foods that we eat, taking different herbs. All these things are going to create that peripheral resistance, which can be either elevated or decreased based on all these different things. And yet again, the main contributing factor here is actually stress is actually the nervous system is really modulating what's going on throughout our entire body because our brains just having um, a state of stress or state of chronic stress will release certain stress hormones directly into the blood and that's going to impact the viscosity of the blood for example uh, when we when we get stressed we'll have a greater release of something known as fibrinogen which tends to make the blood very sticky and thick and that's going to be harder for your for our bodies to move that stuff throughout our system and this is just one of those things that happens in response to stress but a lot of people aren't aware of that but now you know so this is we're starting to see a theme here that something that's really impactful on our blood pressure is being able to modulate stress so it's not that we're deficient on a drug the drugs are there to treat a symptom but if you're just treating the symptom and not actually healing the underlying cause your body's going to intrinsically have another alarm system go off somewhere else, which is known as a side effect, to try to get you to change your behavior. Because that elevated blood pressure is there as a symptom to try to get you to, to change that behavior because it's letting you know that you're out of balance. Now, what's kind of tricky about this, again, is that it is known as a silent killer. But when we can get our numbers back and actually find out what's going on with our blood pressure, we can get a good idea if we need to you know, reel things in a little bit improve certain things in our life, take certain things out, and go from there. And this will be a really good place to talk about those numbers. So, you know, when you get your blood pressure checked, you know, there's a number on top and there's a number on bottom. And it's like usually, you know, what the heck are those numbers? What does this number mean? What is that number? So on top, that top number is known as a systolic blood pressure. And what that does basically and really simply is that it reflects how hard the heart works when it pumps blood. So it's showing how hard the heart is actually working to pump that blood. The number on the bottom, the diastolic number, so we've got the systolic on top, diastolic on, on the bottom, the diastolic blood pressure reflects the resistance to the blood when the heart is not pumping. So when the heart is actually not pumping, what's going on as far as the resistance in the arteries? And another little caveat is that the blood is still moving throughout your system even when it's not pumping because of that delayed action throughout the entire system, just how nature works. Things are going to move from an area of greater concentration to lesser concentration. 
And when the blood first moves out of your ventricle, your, your, when it first pumps that blood out into your system, it's very strong. That's the strongest point. And it's going to go throughout your entire system to where the pressure is going to be lower at this point, And it's going to continue to go there until it actually makes its way back through the veins and into your heart again. And this action is happening whether or not the heart is beating. When the heart is at rest, this delayed action, you know, where the blood is moving from an area of greater concentration to lesser concentration, it's still moving no matter what. And that diastolic number is giving us feedback as to what's going on there. Now, with this basic information that we have so far, we're looking at, you know, like I mentioned earlier, things that are going on on the surface area, the heart rate, the stroke volume, the peripheral resistance, these things are all very, very important. But now I'm going to share with you something that is commonly overlooked, and you won't overlook it after knowing about this. A really, really big player that's actually modulating your blood pressure, especially long term, are your kidneys. Your kidneys are this amazing organ that have a tremendous responsibility of actually filtering your blood continuously. And what's going on here and why I'm saying that this is very important in modulating your blood pressure is that your hypothalamus in your brain, when it senses an accumulation of dissolved substances in your blood, so we're talking about breakdown from food and things of that nature or detoxification. So when your blood has too much of an accumulation of dissolved substances, this can be a problem because your blood is going to be more concentrated and that's going to cause issues with either blood pressure being too high or too low. So it needs to get things in check. So when the hypothalamus senses this, it triggers the creation of something known as antidiuretic hormone. So your hypothalamus creates antidiuretic hormone and a message is sent to the pituitary gland from there. And this is where basically the antidiuretic hormone is stored which then releases the antidiuretic hormone into your bloodstream. So this goes hypothalamus to pituitary to the secretion of the actual antidiuretic hormone to the bloodstream. And from that, your kidneys respond by making their filtration units within the kidneys become more permeable to water. So what that means, and I'm trying to keep this as simple as I possibly can because some of this stuff can kind of get complicated, um, is that water can now leave Basically, what we have in the kidneys, we've got filtered water, or filtered urine actually, can actually go back into your system. The collecting ducts actually return that water to the bloodstream to decrease the concentration of those solutes. So when you're not actually drinking the right amount of water, which this is going to be another theme here, another big issue, your body is going to do this process. It's basically going to release filtered urine back into your system, which sounds kind of gross, or kind of weird, but... It's actually not a bad thing. You know, it's one of those survival mechanisms that we have to take care of everything. But we want to allow our bodies to not to have to do that. So with that said, we want to make sure that we're optimally hydrated. Okay, so that's one big issue there and how the kidneys actually impact your blood pressure. Another issue is that blood pressure rises in response to elevated insulin levels. I'm going to say that again. Blood pressure rises in response to elevated insulin levels. That should be the biggest takeaway from this podcast today. Now, how this links up with the kidneys is that when insulin levels increase, we produce more of a hormone called aldosterone. And this is a hormone that actually causes our kidneys to retain sodium. Okay, so when we hear about high blood pressure, hypertension, most people, they hear from their practitioner that they need to 
get rid of the salt, decrease the salt. And that's not necessarily so. That's not the whole story there. It's actually all has to do with the kidneys retaining the sodium. Now that retaining of the sodium goes back to basic science class where we know that water follows salt in the body. So when we retain sodium, we also retain water. And that in and of itself is gonna cause havoc with our blood pressure. And our body's trying to figure this whole thing out and try to modulate it. So I hope this is starting to paint a really, really clear picture for you and how all this stuff works and the different parts start to work together. And was this a result of eating salt? No, it was a result of elevated insulin levels, which can only come from the consumption of dietary carbohydrates. Okay, so we obviously don't wanna to have too much salt there in the first place just to have our bodies go nuts on, but at the same time, that is not the causative agent here. The causative agent is those elevated insulin levels due to that intake of carbohydrates. So we really wanna keep that stuff in check, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment. So with this said, this is why also high blood pressure is actually the leading cause of kidney failure. You know, these two things go hand in hand, but a lot of times this gets overlooked and it really makes me kind of upset when I see people diagnosed with this issue and dealing with this stuff and they don't have a clue what's going on and nobody's really talking to them, explaining what's really going on throughout their body. They just think that, you know, they just need to get rid of salt and they need to you know, try to be less stressful and everything's going to be okay and take these drugs, of course. And that's not the solution because there are a tremendous amount of side effects associated with these things and we're not taking care of the real underlying cause. And just one more little side note that I want to share with you because I did bring up the fact of, you know, a lot of times they're told to reduce assault. I'm going to call this the salt confusion. You know, some people are in fact salt sensitive, but not everyone. It's really that balance in the body. And where we need to have it is understanding that salt is actually very important. It's an essential electrolyte. And these things, you know, in combination, especially with potassium, these things need to be balanced. These two balance each other very well in the body. And what we're looking at now is about two to one, basically in the standard American diet, of sodium to potassium. And that ratio is very skewed. We should actually be around one to five sodium to potassium. So that ratio needs to come way up for most people. So what are some great sources of potassium? And I'll just share these with you really quickly. We got avocados, kiwis, bananas, and my favorite, it's an incredible sea vegetable known as dulse. Dulse is an excellent, it's probably the highest source of potassium of any food going. So if you're interested in increasing your potassium levels, then dulse would be a good thing to add into your food. So at this point, let me go ahead and dive in and share with you the six steps to lowering your blood pressure naturally. The first one, and I put this at number one for a reason, is that it is the easiest, but at the same time, it is the most challenging. And that's like completely contradictory statement, but in our culture today, it's very difficult because of how we've programmed ourselves and how we trained ourselves. But it's actually just so easy to do and it actually feels really good. Number one, is optimizing your sleep. When you don't sleep, what we have is an increase in stress hormones. And we already talked about how stress is directly impacting your blood pressure continuously. And the thing is, is that when we get into a state of chronic stress, when we have elevated, chronically elevated levels of cortisol, which is not a bad hormone, it's actually supposed to be up, especially in the earlier part of the day to help us have higher blood pressure to go out and, and move around and do the work that we need to do. But then that stuff is supposed to 
decrease as we go throughout the day and it starts to get dark outside and we go into our rest and we have a secretion of melatonin, which can keep us rejuvenated, lower the blood pressure, make us feel really good when we wake up in the morning, but most people are not doing that. When it gets dark outside, that's time for most people to wake up. You know, they're starting to actually perk up. They're tired and wired. So when it gets dark, when we, our bodies are telling us actually shut down, you know, when the sun starts going down, we're yawning, but we'll cut all the lights on in the house, get the TV going, and with the, all the pixels, just stimulating the, the daylights out of our brains, and it just wakes our system up, and that light tells our body that we need to have more stress hormones. We need to be sharp because it's daytime, and we need to be, you know, as far as evolutionary biology is concerned, looking for food or being aware that we could be food. So all those things are still alive and well within us, but historically our, our ancestors would go to sleep when it gets dark outside because, first of all, it's about safety. But today we, we're the only culture you know, in our recent history. We've been able to manipulate these cycles, and what that's doing is keeping your cortisol up, which is keeping your blood pressure up. So when you optimize your sleep, you get to bed early, or it's not even early, just on time by maybe 10 o'clock. If somebody's really concerned about getting their blood pressure checked, get to bed on time, get a good night's sleep. Those most valuable hours are the hours before midnight, and that can do wonders for your blood pressure overall. So that's number one. Number two is to avoid highly reactive foods and pro-oxidation foods. So this is going to be things like rancid oils and oxidized oils, which are found in a lot of packaged foods. And also, you know, a lot of people were manipulated into cooking their foods with uh, vegetable oil, so-called vegetable oil, which we know now is soy oil. You know, there are no broccoli oils and cauliflower oils and red pepper oils. That's not what the stuff is. It's soy oil. And that unsaturated fat is very volatile to heat, to light. And it, it gets damaged very quickly. And when we consume that stuff, it creates a lot of free radical activity. And that stuff is intrinsically going to impact our blood pressure in a very negative way. So we want to avoid that stuff. Switch over, make sure that we're cooking our food with very stable oils like uh, coconut oil or a full-fat butter or ghee or something of that nature. These are going to be much more safe for us to consume. And obviously, we want to avoid hydrogenated oils. So all the, the fake butter products, you know, the margarine, the, the soy-based butters and all those kind of things, those things are not safe for us to consume because those hydrogenated oils are directly linked up to heart disease, high blood pressure, hypertension, and a whole range of other things. You know, if you have any questions about that, make sure you do your research on it because we could spend a whole day talking about that stuff. So, But everybody at this point should be pretty clear on we don't want to consume hydrogenated oils or slash trans fats. Another big problem is calcium or free calcium. So this is going to be found in things, especially people who are taking calcium supplements. There was an incredible study that was done, and anybody can Google this and see that people who were found that they were taking calcium supplements had a 30% increase in incidence of heart attacks. So it's one of those things that we're told that we need to consume calcium, but what it's creating in our bodies is a lot of free calcium which intrinsically is going to create some damage and, quote, calcification if there's too much in our system. So we want to avoid that stuff. We want to avoid foods that have a lot of free calcium, like dairy. For a lot of people, it's going to be bad news. But if you're dealing with blood pressure issues, it might be one of those things you want to pull out, especially if it's homogenized, pasteurized dairy, because those calcium structures are even damaged. 
Another big issue here, uh, as far as highly reactive foods, is wheat. And a lot of people are pulling wheat out of their diet today. And this is one of those times we're going to look back in history, not too distant history from now. We're going to just know, like, I can't believe that we were eating so much wheat. That was crazy. And why that is, is that this is a pro-inflammatory food. It's a food that creates a tremendous amount of acidity in the body, which is going to damage the electrical field around your red blood cells, and it's going to make them start to stick together. So our red blood cells need to have a nice electrical charge, and you can look at this with the live blood analysis and see how you know, acidic or acid-forming foods actually create these problems. So we want to pull the wheat out, especially if we're concerned about blood pressure and heart disease. And also wheat is connected with that high insulin response too. So that's another big issue. And for some people, I'm just going to add this one in here. For some people, caffeine can also be a causative factor. And this is because it's affecting our nervous system. And remember how our nervous system is actually impacting and, and controlling. It's one of the big regulators of our blood pressure. So at this point, let's go ahead and move on to number three. And this one is to include high nitrate containing raw vegetables in your diet. That looks like specifically beets. Now with the doctrine of signatures, which states that everything in nature will tell you what it's good for based on the way it looks, smells, tastes, or basically how it functions. So we're very aware that, you know, uh, walnuts, they look like a brain. And what our science has proven is that they're rich in omega-3 fatty acids and they're wonderful, the plant sterols, for our brain health. If you look at something like berries and how they're so great for our vision, you look at something like carrots and you cut it in half and it's another one of those foods that's really known to be great for our vision and it actually looks like our eyeball with the, you know, the pupil and the retina and that whole thing. Now, with beets, it is for sure the most identical thing to our blood. When you juice some beets and you see that color, it's like, yeah, that is some stuff there. It's got to be good for your blood. And what's happened is our science has actually proven that because there are a particular nitrate in beets that when the human being, when the human organism actually consumes it, it interacts with the bacteria on your tongue and creates this other compound known as a nitrite. And that goes down into our digestive system where it can be converted into nitric oxide or reabsorbed into our system as a nitrite. And that is like a time release for lowering our blood pressure. And what's been seen is that it gets an immediate blood pressure reduction. And this is amazing studies have been done about this stuff. But what's really fascinating to me is that the results actually have a long-term effect. It's kind of like a time release medication, but it's just something natural and real. And with beets, again, you actually have to be careful because it can lower your blood pressure too much. So you want to make sure that you are taking the beets with some other things. I recommend something like celery and maybe a little carrot or some kind of green leafy vegetable to make it nice and rounded out. And the nitrates are also found in other vegetables as well, in particular the leafy greens. So you want to make sure that you're getting a nice variety and array of those things in your body every day. And that is one of the six powerful steps toward lowering your blood pressure naturally. Number four is to begin a practice and implement this practice on a daily basis of either qigong and or tai chi and or gentle yoga. So we're not talking about the power yoga to you know kick your butt and all that stuff. That's wonderful for another purpose, but for the purposes of managing our blood pressure, we're talking about things that actually help to relax the body, 
calm the mind, lower the stress. And in our world today, we need practices like this because we live in a very stressful environment. And if you implement these practices, amazing things can happen for you very, very fast. And there's actually a lot of studies showing how meditation and Tai Chi and all these things can actually help to lower blood pressure. And I want to add one more big caveat here, and that is walking. You know, in addition to those things, also just walking. There's actually a study in the Journal of Hypertension that showed that exercise in the form of walking was actually able to lower blood pressure very significantly. And what was found is that they broke the participants into two groups. One group walked continuously for 40 minutes. The other group walked for 10 minutes four different times throughout the day. So just 10-minute breaks spread throughout the day. And what was found is that both of the participant groups actually had their blood pressure drop by the same amount. So either way was highly effective. The interesting thing was that the effect for the group that broke it up into four sections, the effects lasted for about 11 hours after the walks, after they completed their four cycles. For the other group who did 40 continuous minutes, it lasted for about seven hours. So what this is saying is that it's even better to get up and go walk several times throughout the day just for a short amount of time. Just get up and move your body. And basically, the results were a systolic blood pressure drop of five to six points or millimeters of mercury. The diastolic blood pressure dropped about 3.2 millimeters of mercury. And this is very significant because a reduction of just five millimeters of mercury in that systolic blood pressure is reported to be very powerful and substantial at reducing mortality and reducing the risk of stroke and coronary heart disease. So that's number four on the six steps of lowering blood pressure naturally. Number five, we've talked about this a little bit already, is to optimize hydration. The vast majority of your blood is water. So, and I'm not talking about soda. I'm not talking about vitamin water. I'm not talking about tea. Real water, highly structured water. And if you don't know what that is, if you don't know what the best water is, search through the podcast, look at the archives, and look at the podcast that I did on water. I went in, I went in depth on what the best water is, what that looks like, where to find it, and all the good stuff that comes along with it. So you wanna make sure that you're optimizing hydration because that is the really hands-on, tangible, easy thing to do is just drink good, high-quality water to help to manage our blood pressure. So that's number five. Number six, and the final step here, is to manage your blood sugar. Remember, your blood pressure rises in response to elevated insulin levels. So that in and of itself should tell you that we want to definitely make sure that we're managing our blood sugar and keeping that stuff stable. But it goes even further than that because elevated insulin is also associated with higher triglycerides, greater incidence of LDL particles in the blood, and VLDL particles in the blood. So we're talking about very low-dense lipoprotein in our system, which this is the more dangerous type, that ones that have the greater likelihood of actually creating some damage. So, and this is all related to our blood sugar, not eating cholesterol. Cholesterol is not going to intrinsically create more cholesterol in our body to the degree that we've been told. It's actually through that intake of dietary carbohydrates. And again, make sure that you refer to that video that I did about heart disease and about how these LDL and VLDL particles are actually created. And it's a really fascinating thing, and I'll take you step by step through it. 
So we want to make sure that we're managing our blood sugar, eating real food. Pull out the processed stuff. When people think processed foods, they're just thinking about the foods that they know are super bad for them, like the, the cupcakes and the, and the cookies and the, the, the danishes and all that kind of stuff. But not just that. You know, we'll put a box on it and think that, oh, the bread's not processed. Well, actually it is. It's not in its real natural state anymore. And it's not something where they just pushed the fat out and now you have the oil and you have a cake. That's very minimal processing. And something like that can be very beneficial for a lot of people. But when we get into processing of where we take it from one thing and we turn it into something completely unrecognizable from where it actually came from, that's an issue. And that's where we need to wake up and kind of cut the cord on that if we want to really make sure we get our blood pressure in check. So if we're going to do the greatest impact on managing our blood sugar, we're going to pull out the pasta, we're going to pull out the bread, we're going to focus on all the thousands of different foods that we get to eat, you know, because people get worried about it. They'll think, oh, no, they're going to take away my bread. When I'm not about that. I'm not about taking things away from people. I'm about giving and, and introducing so many other things that most people never know about, things that bring them more pleasure than they've ever even actually gotten a chance to experience because they've been so limited. When you go into the grocery store and you see aisles and aisles of food, but it's like the same 10 foods packaged in different ways. And most of it is wheat, sugar, corn, soy, and they're just packaged in different things. But it's all these different boxes and packages, but it's the same food when you actually look at the ingredients. So what we have here is uh, we want to focus on fruits, vegetables, all the amazing fruits and vegetables that we've been gifted, uh, nuts and seeds. If somebody's not taking a vegan approach, the particular animal foods that have been raised in the most traditional methods possible, superfoods. This is a big category that we all need to make sure that we're getting in to help to fill out our diet and make sure that we're getting the right amino acids and proteins, especially if you're taking a vegan and vegetarian protocol. We want to make sure that we're getting those things in so we can be the healthiest representation of what we can possibly be. And that's pretty much going to cover it. And with those food categories, again, we've got thousands of different things to choose from. We can make some incredible meals that absolutely blow ourselves away and blow our friends and family away. And that's when it gets really fun is when we can share this with the people that we care about and everybody's health improves and we all work together to create uh, a future and a society that really works for everyone. So I hope this has been tremendously helpful to you. As always, make sure you share this with the people that you care about so they can get the information firsthand. This is Sean Stevenson signing off from Be Well Buzz and I'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening. Go to www.bewellbuzz.com for more natural health information and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Don't forget to share this podcast with your family and friends. Stay tuned for more from Be Well Buzz.